Hello, everyone. Um, this is our podcast, and today we are we have the discussion question: What do you know about l- linguistic discrimination? Um, we and my fellow group members will be diving more into this. Um, my name is Sofia Gonzalez. My name is Catherine Sun. My name is Emily Perez. And I'm Tyler Costello. So we're going to jump into the first topic, which is about bilingual authors. And this will be led by Emily. Uh, okay, well, hi guys. Um, language discrimination is obviously um, something that happens a lot in our world and in our school while we are in a school setting, um, mainly because most of the people that we know in our classroom will be future teachers and professors. I was wondering if you guys know how literature has maybe created more opportunities to maybe get rid of the linguistic discrimination seen in various works by the normal MLA standard of writing and getting rid of that? I think it helps people a lot and that it makes them feel confident in their own writing and if they want to publish their own books because when we're at school and we're told to read like a specific book or even our textbooks no matter what topic it is it's always that MLA standard type of writing and we are also told of like speaking in that way also so seeing all these other authors writing in different um different dialects and using their own language I think it really helps students to create their own work and feel like I like I said again to feel more confident in their own writing instead of just you know not feeling good about their writing because they're not comfortable with what they're not used to yeah um I wanted to point out an example of a book that we I actually read in a class an English class um which is Juno Diaz's Drown. Um, What really stood out to me about this book was that it was different in the way it was written in that it did not adhere to the MLA standard way of writing and using standard English um, because it was mixing English and Spanish. And while in a MLA standard form of writing, it Spanish would be italicized or, you know, it would be shown as different when the characters would speak it versus English. But what Diaz does is get rid of um, making Spanish seem different and including it and formatting the same as if 
the characters were speaking in English, even though they're not. And I think that really helps in the in accepting and I would say supporting other languages to strengthen the their form of writing and also their form of speaking. And their culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it really, oh, sorry. Oh, you can keep going. Yeah. Um, I just think it really helps, you know, with the writing itself as well. It really helps the, um, like us as readers to immerse ourselves in their stories. And it, it like makes it more authentic. And you want to read it because you get such a better sense of the world that you know they're creating and they're making you you know put yourselves into yeah not only there's, are they, there's, there's no barriers basically. yeah like they're comfortable and we're comfortable and it just like all around makes it a better experience mm -hmm. yeah and I think most of us can relate to it too because I mean we do have like different dialects and we're in part of different cultures but with so having those authors many of us can relate to it like I think one of you guys brought that up yeah uh I think that also like it, it probably gives you more of a better perspective into other cultures that way you can you may not know a lot about it but it can help in a way by looking into the dialect that they are using and they're not making it seem like it's something different because I I actually have uh, articles such as this course article where uh, a book called Americana um, which follows a Nigerian narrator they use a lot of the um, different languages also in the same way that Diaz uses Spanish and English together. They use, I don't know if I would, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Igbo, I think that's the name of the language. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think it's really important for like representation too. Um, because when we watch a movie or see a show where there's people who look like us, we're naturally like drawn to it because that's something we're comfortable with. So I feel like in literature and writing too, when there is like, like in Juno Diaz, when he's writing in Spanish or when there are Spanish um, lines in the text, I think it like intrigues people who also speak Spanish or who speak Spanglish um, and who make it makes them want to read more of it or be more invested in it when they are exposed to something they're familiar with so I thought I don't know if this is kind of unrelated but I watched Shang-Chi recently and I thought it was cool how they like 
um, how there was parts of the movie where they spoke uh, Mandarin or uh, Chinese Mandarin and some parts where they spoke English because he lives in America now, but he lived, I'm not sure where exactly he lived, but he lived yeah. somewhere else when he was younger and that was like the language that he was raised with. But I don't know why I don't, I've never really seen a movie, a bilingual movie. I don't know if there's many out there, but I, I just thought that was cool. I don't know, just yeah. thought I'd hear that. Especially when like important plot points were in, you know, like not English. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you had to, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it was interesting. Like I think in that movie most of the most of the um parts that were in Mandarin related closely to uh his background on like his family and his culture and where he came from. And I like that it it uh like Mandarin demonstrated the connection. I don't know, the connection to just his present life, I guess, in that movie. Mm -hmm. Also, the fact that I, I think he did mention um, he had a a racist encounter when he, like, moved to America. Mm. Like, a, they were calling him, like, Korean or something, and he, he said that he wasn't Korean. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that was because of the way he looked or because maybe he was speaking Mandarin and they the person the other person didn't know what language they were speaking in. So that kind of reminds me of the incident of um I forgot his name, but I think he was a, a Chinese American and he was celebrating in a bar for his wedding or his friend's wedding and two um um white Americans, they uh, European Americans, I would say, they heard, they just like looked at his appearance, assuming that he was Japanese, because at that time, you know, we had the um, the war and Japanese mm -hmm. people like came to America. And, you know, a lot of European Americans did not like Japanese people because quote unquote, they were stealing their jobs. And so I guess they assumed that I forgot his name. But I remember reading articles about him because mm -hmm. they thought that he was Japanese just because how of how he looked and how he spoke so it's just interesting how like he got into this horrible situation just because of that type of discrimination and then since you guys brought up the movie um Shang-Chi I haven't seen it but you guys brought up how there was bilingualism in it and I think it's interesting how a lot of like shows and movies back then even when they were Asian Americans or you know Hispanic people Latino Latino people there was there was always like English like mainly English even when they would the fam the whole family would speak English I like noticed that and like an example in George Lopez they did speak Spanish which I like enjoyed but I did notice that there were a lot of you know, people of color speaking in like straight English, even within their own family in the show, just for the audience to 
I guess, understand. I don't know if that's like discrimination or anything, but I think it's interesting because I, I've noticed, I've always noticed that and it was so weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's always, it's the separation by using accents. Yeah. That, that's how they, they yeah. would distinguish. Everything. We're going to switch gears and move on to um, Catherine's topic, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. So my topic is about standardized tests and how language discrimination is like in our classroom with like the topics that our teachers are bringing up or even with tests and homework or any schoolwork that we had to do. So I'm going to bring up a question that what kind of experience have you guys had during school that kind of discriminated discriminated against our own language? Such as, um, I know in my experience, I had a teacher who always stuck with one, like when we would write essays, she had a prompt and that we all had to use throughout the whole school year. And it made me so uncomfortable because I wanted to write how I did like in my own dialect in my own you know in my own language I guess and then I just didn't really like how she made all of all of her students do that because now it just stuck with stuck with me and even now in college I still write in that specific format and then I wanted to know if you guys ever had that experience or if any other experience. Uh, I've definitely had that experience where um, basically like any, every professor that I've gotten or any other teacher that I've gotten from as long as I could remember from elementary school throughout now, um, every teacher and professor always seems to have their own requirement and their own way of writing and what they want to see in a paper and I don't know it always struck me as different because you can show them your style and they will always find something wrong with it even though technically it would not be wrong yeah and speaking of like our writing in one of the articles we read in class by our professor um there was an ex- um, five examples of um, contributions to ABT, which is repetition, narrativizing, call response, signifying, indirection, and sounding. And I know that recently that I've noticed that I've been using that in my writing and when I am speaking. So I was wondering if you guys used any of those because I know I like to use narrativizing a lot. I was wondering if any of you guys like use all of them or a few of them in your own writing or when you're even presenting during class I think for me um I would try to use the repetition um because it was I don't want to say enforced but we were taught it in class and how it emphasizes uh like a speech or a piece of writing to like emphasize, um, how do you say, I guess, um, urgency. 
So I felt like I've used or tried to use repetition in my writings in high school, um, but it I felt like it didn't really stick to me in my like college years. Um, but yeah. Um, I remember I used to get in trouble a little bit for using um, the call and response where you ask a question, like like a rhetorical question. It would be like a rhetorical question. And I remember on one essay, I got feedback from it. And my teacher had said, don't ask a question when you're already answering a question. Mm-hmm. And I was confused by that because the question was related to what I was in my answer. It was like a, like I, like I had said my, my answer and was like, right, isn't that correct? And I got, you know, points marked down for adding more, you know, work or, you know, quote unquote, what, what would be more work mm-hmm. for me or for her? Yeah, I think I noticed I've done the same thing. And then it reminds me of like how if we're doing that, we feel bad on ourselves because the professors or teachers would be like, no, you're wrong. You're not supposed to do this when it's not wrong or it's not bad language. Like bringing up um, our professor's other article talking about good and bad language. It just reminds me how, you know, when you're at home, it's okay for you to use this language or, you know, write in a specific way. But then you transitioning back into school, it's like you're wrong to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this whole time it was never wrong. It was just mm-hmm. different. Yeah, it's this school has always um, wanted to stick to the. It's kind of like like the only English rule, I guess you would say. Yeah, like that standardized English. Yeah, rule. they want to use like the government, the rule that they or law that they use for government, and they want to apply that for schools. Mm-hmm. When, like you said, our professor's article actually says that speaking differently and speaking if using other different varieties and you know other languages strengthens our language and our style of writing which actually benefits not only students but just everyday people Mm -hmm. and speaking about like how we're have we had to stick with like standardized English because of the government or because of the school or the district I want to bring up standardized text as the closure to this topic because I know that in my high school years middle school years we had to take these specific tests and recently now that I'm in college I have a couple of well my brother has a couple of friends who are in their last year of high school and they don't have to take these same tests that we used to do. I remember we were talking about this on our own time in the classroom. I think Tyler, you brought it up how you didn't get to take this specific test, but we did and now that's changing. Like it keeps changing over time. Like who should take this test, who shouldn't or why we should or why we shouldn't. Yes, and I took all of the older tests that none of you guys have taken, like the Casey and the... Mm -hmm. um, it was the English stand, uh, I, I believe it was something like the English standardized and it was combined with, you know, science and you had to be able to 
read these science situations, like mm-hmm. hypothetical situations using, you know, like English comprehension. What was the Casey? The Casey was, I believe it was like how the CSTs were. Um, I took it so long ago, but mm-hmm. like it, multiple choice. Yeah, it was multiple choice. And I believe there was, there was an essay section. So it was, you know, like an SAT kind mm-hmm. of testing. So you have like a whole multiple choice section where they give you a reading and then you have to answer the next like eight questions on that reading. And then at the end, there was like, you get 45 minutes to write a five paragraph essay. Okay. And then that was basically used as your placement for college testing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you also had to pass the Casey in order to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. That also reminded me, I I don't know, I it just popped into my, my mind now that we were talking about it when you were talking about Tyler, you were talking about like your the science test. Mm-hmm. I remember in elementary school actually, we would have a workbook that we would bring home to do our homework and it was just like these questions that we would practice that we were um practice so that we we're able to be prepared for the test we're gonna take in middle school or high school. And I remember it was like a science notebook and I can't believe they made us like almost every week take that home and you know answer those type of questions even like during elementary school mm-hmm. where like we're barely starting off with our testing it's insane yeah they were preparing you for it I, I realized as I was speaking that they never fully disclosed to us why we were taking these tests yeah like we never got a real reason like why it just suddenly stopped because I know that for me in my year, um, we had to take the SAT test in order to, like, in, or in order to be accepted into specific colleges. And then now that I think this, um, these couple of years or this coming up years, they're not, they don't have to take the SAT test anymore, which is insane to me because someone was practically wasted our time. And then I don't think the SAT even like helped helped us, I would say, because I don't think I've never heard any of like, you know, professors in college talking about SATs or they never really looked into it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the college entry, like exams and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Business scams at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that they're like the tests that they did and like elementary school, middle school, like all of those, mm-hmm. they were probably based off of um, like grade scores or like the community as a whole. Because I remember in elementary school, I don't know if you guys did this, but I remember um, that my teacher would like separate us. So if the whole class was doing like, I don't know, like creative arts or something like that, uh, she would call us one by one and we she would sit there and she would have a timer and we had to read a passage like in a certain amount of time and like that's how she measured us and like yes independent you know how good are you at reading how fast are you reading what do you need help with oh wow I think I that, remember that yeah and it's like I think that was part um because they the government I guess looked at how like each community was doing 
with their I, the kids. Mm-hmm. I think it was called like the No Child Left Behind Act or something like that, where like everyone yeah. had to reach a certain limit. Yeah, where yeah. you had to read um, standard English, almost as if that was your first language. Which for me, oh. it wasn't my first; it was my second. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's why it was always like I had trouble with it. Mm-hmm. As well so as traumatizing. Yeah, as well as a lot of um, the people in my class because my community is mainly Hispanics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone's first language was Spanish or something else besides English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting that they made students at like such a young age do that too it's crazy like why like they expect us to you know reach a certain limit or actually you know quote unquote sound good while speaking standardized English when most of us did not grow up speaking English Mm -hmm. I like I don't really know if that actually helped people though like Maybe they thought it was some kind of practice, but I don't feel like that sort of practice really helps somebody with English. I think because we were also rewarded if we like did a certain, how do you say, it, read the paragraph in a certain amount of minutes, mm-hmm. we were like rewarded and we were like fluency. At my school, we were like fluency frenzy wizards is what we were called and I feel like uh what was I saying it basically just taught you like you know you do this you memorize it and then you get a reward and they Mm -hmm. kind of set up Mm -hmm. they demonstrate their way of teaching quote unquote but it's not actually teaching you anything it's just telling you Mm -hmm. like what to do you're gonna get rewarded but you're not learning or it kind of like shows like oh if you could do this then you're smart if that makes sense and it makes so many students who are able yeah yeah feel lesser and not feel as like smart as other but we're like all smart we're just speaking in our own language in our own dialect in a certain way um, you guys all just unlocked such a horrid memory from elementary school is with the reading levels with those tests um, my my teacher would separate us for, with reading levels and she would have baskets of like when we were first learning to read she would have like separated baskets of like levels one to five and I could never make it past three because I wasn't reading fast enough and I used to be embarrassed when we would have to go and get, you know, books to read, like, like when we would do like um, on our own reading and we would have to go and choose from the baskets. And it was like in front of everyone that people would have to go and choose from like the one basket or the two, like three. And there were people doing five. And, you know, you obviously knew who was like, quote unquote, the best readers in class. And I'm getting embarrassed again, remembering it. That was so bad how so many teachers were allowed to do that. I don't think they're allowed to do that anymore. But back then, I can't believe, like, it just happened. And, you know, people were okay with that. It's crazy. I think the acceptance of more cultures, more languages, 
mm-hmm. in media in general, but you know, in government and all of uh, all of that other stuff mm-hmm. um, has really helped via the school system and making it better so that it's not as I don't know horrifying or as traumatizing for our next generations to come. Mm-hmm. Because I like you said, I don't think they're doing that anymore. I don't think they can, even if they want to, just because just the way that technology works now, it's just it would be all over what, like Twitter or something in a matter of minutes and mm-hmm. there would be like protests and just it would be horrible. I think there's also change with the the type of faculty or the type of teachers we have now too. Um, that probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, they're they're teaching because they, not that teachers before didn't want to make a difference, but teachers now can see that there needs to be a difference. And there's a lot of teachers that are that are really excited to get into that, especially you know our classroom that is has a bunch of you know future teachers in it and you can tell how excited everyone is to learn all of this information mm-hmm. yeah and so many of us didn't even know a lot of this information until taking this class because I know I never really thought much about it until taking this class yeah I remember just mm-hmm. I felt like I knew what it was I just didn't know what it was called mm-hmm. and you know I I definitely feel like it's something that everyone has experienced one way or another. Because even like in America, you you obviously have like different dialects and accents, you know, from different states. Mm-hmm. And you would automatically know where someone came from or like their background or something. But obviously there's, that's no way to you know, change the way that you treat them just because of the way that they sound. Mm 